You're listening to the ESPN Radio 94.1 podcast page, accelerated by Sports Innovation X. Six is bridging the gap between tech, athletes, and teams. Check them out at sportsinnovationx.com. We are talking about the NFL playoffs right now on the Tim Donnelly Show on ESPN Radio 94.1. Tim Donnelly Show, ESPN Radio 94.1. Philadelphia won the NFC Championship game, all right? 31 to 7. That's dramatic, right? That is dominant as a team. Their defense deserves all the credit in the world. But their offense wasn't asked to do much. That's that that is inherently true. Okay? That's not to say they couldn't have done more. That's saying they didn't have to and chose not to, which is smart football by the way. But Jalen Hurts threw threw for 121 yards, no touchdowns, no interceptions. Whoa. Right? 148 yards on the ground, four touchdowns. That looks great. 148 yards and four touchdowns rushing. That looks great. Until you see 44 carries. And I can do quick math. I've already done it. 3.4 yards per carry. That's not great. But let's be clear here about something, right? They didn't have to be great. There is something to be said for noticing early in a game that the other team can't stick with you. There's something to be said for Brock Purdy just got hurt. Our defense will not be challenged. So let's just make sure we don't shoot ourselves in the foot, right? It would have been the dumbest thing in the world if... Jalen Hurts threw a bad interception back in his own side of the football field because he was trying to get A.J. Brown involved in a game where without A.J. Brown, you win 31-7. to Right? It's, it's like the Eagles looked around on the sideline and said they can't score. So we just have to not give them points and we're good. Well, let's run it every play. And that's essentially what they did. That is smart winning football, but that strategy doesn't necessarily equate to a team that has their offense cooking, meaning if you're playing against a team that has their offense cooking, then you would need more. Again, you might have more in the, the, the ammunition chamber, right? You might have more that, that you could have unleashed, but you chose not to, and that doesn't mean we're all going to act like you did unleash it. Dan Orlovsky on Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max talking about Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts played bad, and they scored 30. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's how many different ways do you want us to be able to beat you against a great defense in San Francisco? And, and I remember turning to my wife. It was the first run of the game. I think it goes for like six yards. And the interior of the Philadelphia Eagles offensive line absolutely mauled and just changed the line of scrimmage. Like four yards downfield, San Francisco's D-line. I, took, I looked at my wife and said, it's over. I, I just the, you, you watched an offensive line interior-wise just completely dominate I agree and completely disagree at the same time. I agree with the fact that as soon as it was obvious that they could occasionally string together a rushing drive that would end in points, the game was over because that meant they never had to risk the football. That doesn't mean they scored every drive. It just meant occasionally they were going to put one together and it was going to be good enough. But I do find it interesting to say like, oh, that first run when they gained six yards, it's like, you mean... almost twice the average of what they got on each carry. 
Their longest run of the game was 17. 17 yards. That's not a dramatic, we ran over them type game. That's, that's you know, pounded our head against the wall until we broke through. Longest play of the game, 29 yards. But guess what? If San Francisco had a quicker toss of the challenge, that 29-yarder wouldn't have even counted. It was the Devontae Smith one-handed catch, which was a huge conversion in a very important part of the game. That offense, if they play the way they played against San Francisco, granted San Francisco's defense is very good, so they likely had something to do with choosing the conservative approach, but if they they play and make those same decisions against a team that has an offense that can put up a few more points, completely different ballgame. So it's it's a chicken or the egg. It's it's did the the Eagles intentionally hold themselves back or not give themselves the opportunity to be explosive because they knew they didn't need explosive plays to win and thus they played it as safe as possible or were they having a hard time getting explosive plays but they didn't need them anyway. I choose to think it's the first. I give the Eagles credit. I choose to think they looked around because that first drive, right, their first drive where they went right down and scored, there's, I mean, there's no changes there, right? doesn't matter if the other team, uh, or actually they didn't know yet that the other team was going to have quarterback issues and not be able to score the ball. They went right down, touchdown. Miles Sanders. Multiple catches for A.J. Brown, and I was like, this, that's what their offense should look like. Didn't look like that for the rest of the, 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 the night. Right, couple punts, punts, punts. Then they just started running the ball and saying, hey, if we get three yards of carry, that'll be good enough. Again, we, we the the I'm trying to think of the right word. Hype might be the right word, but probably not. Like idolization might be the right word. Everyone after a win immediately idolizes the fantasy football positions, right? The quarterbacks, the running backs, the receivers, the tight ends, they immediately become superstars after a big playoff win like this. The fact of the matter is the defense of the Philadelphia Eagles completely and totally bottled up the offense of the San Francisco 49ers, and because it was obvious that they're going to continue to do that because the Niners didn't have any adjustments to make because they had backup quarterbacks and or hurt quarterbacks in the game, They did not have to ask their offense to do much of anything. So their offense said, all right, we don't have to do much of anything. We're not going to do much of anything. And then after the game, suddenly there was this weird, like, propping up of the offense. And I'm going, well, I don't know. Right? like, Like every, you know, karaoke songs, right? Everybody has the karaoke songs. You don't really have to sing much, right? Stays right in that middle register. Right, you do. I got friends in low places, right? You, no one walks off after singing "I Got Friends in Low Places" and says you're a great singer. You're going to be the the. You know, oh my gosh, you should go audition for American Idol. Nobody does that because it's like oh, you might be, you might not be. You didn't have to sing any high notes, so you didn't sing any high notes. You didn't have to sing any big notes, so you didn't sing any big notes. The Eagles had a very like snappy performance, just right there in the middle. It was a good time. Everybody enjoyed themselves. You came back to your seat. Nothing nothing good, nothing bad. Enough to win. 31-7. Why would you do it any differently? 
Tim Donnelly Show, ESPN Radio 94.1. We want your reactions to the AFC Championship game, the NFC Championship game, and uh, the eventual Super Bowl. 757-687-9494. That is the call-in line. James in Virginia Beach is on the call-in line. Has a reaction to the AFC Championship game. James, thanks for calling in. What's your take on the uh, the Bengals-Chiefs game? Yeah, my comment on the Bengals-Chiefs game yesterday, mm-hmm. I can't Patrick Mahomes was able to sit there in the middle of the pocket like a sitting duck. I was able to pick apart the Bengals' defense on one leg. I can't believe the Bengals didn't get more pressure on Mahomes to move side to side. I think they blitzed the total three times. Their defensive scheme was terrible, in my opinion. That's the reason why they lost the game. That's all I have. All right, appreciate the call. Um, few things. One, pretty brutal little, little breakdown there. Uh, <laughs> but... I agree that it did feel like Mahomes was able to get more comfortable than he should have been. And we talked about this last week. I think they should have taken more chances to see if Mahomes was was really willing to run. Right? Play uh, a little bit more man. Send a little bit more pressure. Make sure the safeties know don't get beat deep. All that, All that sort of stuff. And put a lot of green grass in front of him with guys chasing him but it didn't necessarily happen that way. And Mahomes is very much, actually the Chiefs are very much a team. Once they get like four or five consecutive completions, you better you better just shut it down. Right? Once MVS started looking like a big proponent of, of uh, or a big part of that offense, I went, uh-oh. If, if, they, if they get into a rhythm with MVS, you know Kelsey exists, right? Juju's going to be Juju. They're going to, you know, scheme open guys in Andy Reid's system. But, uh, but if they start getting into a little bit of a rhythm, you're in trouble. And I would have done everything I possibly could to not let them get into a rhythm. Meanwhile, it actually was kind of the Bengals who didn't start in a rhythm and had to, to force it until eventually they, they worked their way back into the game. Call and text lines open, 757-687-9494. Uh, Robbie, let's go to the text line see what they're saying. Go ahead. Tim from K-Dub, the Eagles should be overwhelmingly favorites against Kansas City. They match, they outmatch them in pretty much every position except for one, and Kansas City has that one guy. Are we talking about quarterback? I would imagine so. <laughs> um, well, not every position. I'd say at least, I mean. I mean, tight end. Right, that's the thing. I, I think, you know. <laughs> I think that. I think he's forgetting about Travis, Travis Kelsey. Kelsey. Yeah, um, I, I'll agree with you that that top to bottom and, and I said this uh before the game I actually think both NFC cha- uh, championship teams had more complete rosters than either team in the AFC uh the difference is the AFC was more top heavy with players that that kind of equal those things out by themselves now if in the the Super Bowl Jalen Hurts is able to come close to Patrick Mahomes's production or his savvy experience clutch like he doesn't have to beat him. He just has to be close to him because the rest of the roster is that good. The problem is being close to Patrick Mahomes is very, very, very difficult. Because he's very, very, very good. And he's comfortable in big situations because he's there very, very, very often. But I'll agree with you. The Eagles, I mean, top to bottom. If you're if like I saw, I don't know if you if everyone else saw this. On the NFL network, they did like offense defense special teams coaching and quarterback and they they picked the Bengals over the Chiefs in everything except special teams which 
if, first of all, if you watch the Chiefs, their special teams were not good this year. So they probably shouldn't have won that. But coaching and quarterback going to the Bengals over Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes just shows how how wildly underrated those two guys are. And I would say the same thing about about the the Super Bowl matchup. I'll give the Bengals defensive line, or sorry, I'll give the Eagles defensive line, offensive line, wide receivers, running backs, uh, much of the rest of the defense. I'm giving quarterback and coaching to the Chiefs. And if you said you're going to have to win a game with only two categories, I'm going coaching and I'm going quarterback. So it, it's very much, no matter, no matter how skewed it feels as far as talent towards the Eagles, I'm coaching and quarterback are pretty darn important. Let's go to John Boy and Gloucester on the call-in line. He has, a, 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 I believe, an AFC championship reaction but but we'll see uh you can call in as well 757-687-9494 john boy thanks for calling in what do you have to say yeah i called in last week i'm a diehard Chiefs fan and i just wanted to uh give props to the chiefs for for what they did and um and, and it, it can, turned out really good can, can you acknowledge a little bit that you got some referees calls uh Maybe a few. Okay. All right. Cool. That's that's all we, I needed. We've been we've been on the bad side of that. I completely appreciate many, that. Many times. I completely appreciate so I that. Be honest to say, if something did go our way. I got to be honest to say that we had a couple of calls go our way, but we've had we've had them go the other way lots of times. So John, John Boy, thank you very much for calling in. That is a perfect segue into what we're going to be talking about next, which is. How bad were the calls? How mad are you? And how mad should the Bengals be? The referees became a big part of the weekend, and I hate when it happens, but it happened. We talk about the refs coming up next right here. Tim Donnelly Show, ESPN Radio, 94.1. Coaches make decisions. Players make plays. He makes it make sense. It's the Tim Donnelly Show on ESPN Radio, 94.1 snap two receivers out to each side Mahomes with a deep drop now moving in the pocket running to the right and running well he's at the 50 he's trying to run for the first down he goes out Uh, of bounds and the Bengals push him after he was out of bounds multiple flags are going to tack 15 yards onto this play eight seconds left in regulation and with that penalty the Chiefs will be in field goal range man you have to be more aware this football team has got a lot of awareness. Not on that play. Personal foul, unnecessary roughness. Defense number 58. The 15 yards from the end of the play. Automatic first down. I hate it. Hate it. When we have to talk about the referees after a game. Right? The I've, I've said this before. My grandfather was a referee uh, and, and all the way up to the college level. And, and his thing always was when you leave the, the game, leave the stadium, and no one knows you were there, that means you refed a really good game. There hasn't been an NFL game that you didn't know the refs were there in a very long time. And and it it, it literally like kind of ruins my watching experience when you're, you're watching a game and there's a really bad call or a, a call that really impacts the game and right I, I mean when you when you host a show like this one you, you always kind of file away the things that you know you're going to talk about you'll you know put them in the chat with the prep or you're you'll uh text it to yourself or something and it felt like I did it four times watching games yesterday like oh we're gonna have to talk about that call 
oh, we're going to talk about that call. Oh, and then it's like, we're just going to talk about the refs, aren't we? I hate talking about the refs. Think of how many cool things happened in that game. Cincinnati at KC. From the Jamar Chase double coverage jump catch to Patrick Mahomes playing through the ankle injury to Travis Kelsey being 33 years old, still making plays, MVS showing up. So many cool – the T. Higgins, there are so many cool things that happened, and, and we have to take some time to talk about the referees. Now, we have to do it, so let's do it. First of all, let's get the basic out of the way. There were bad calls. If you're upset about a bad call and you just want us – like you just need that validation, yep, some were missed. Secondly, not every call was a bad call, right? The one you just heard, Osai pushing Mahomes, it's a good call. has to be made. It was a bad decision by the player. Good call by the ref. But again, going back to it, some of them were bad. I'm not discrediting that. Cincinnati should be mad. Just not at every single call and no call. The Joseph Osai push, yep, it was a penalty. But guess what? On that same play, if you go back and you take screenshots, it may look like one of the offensive linemen was holding a little bit or two of the offense or three of the offensive linemen was holding a little bit. Nah, you're you're stretching, and you're going to lose credibility. You're stretching. Especially when you recognize that if the defense is trying to do a rip-and-turn move and you're already engaged, you're allowed to hold. Because the NFL noticed that players would just wait till you get a, a little bit of a grab, and then they'd spin and go hold. So they don't let that be a call anymore. It's actually in the rule book. That's not a bad call. Getting a replayed third down because a ref 40 yards away noticed something funny with the clock and decided he was going to try to jog in and nobody saw him and it didn't affect the play at all. Mm. Even if it's the right call, that one hurts if I'm a Bengals fan. I do think it's the right call because if you go back and watch the video, you do see the referee jogging in, which tells me he was blowing the whistle before the the play. And even if nobody knows it, if the ref's blowing the whistle, you do kind of have to go with that. Right call, but man, that's a frustrating one. That's one where you you yell and scream and you get your money's worth yelling to the officials hoping you get a call back because they owe you one because they know they messed it up. Anyone that's ever played uh, a basketball, that inadvertent whistle, who boy, that'll get you upset. But it kind of has to be obeyed, right? Referee just has the whistle in their mouth and they sneeze. Whistle goes off. You kind of have to stop the fast break. Is it fair? Nope. But you kind of have to do it. All you do is you yell and scream at the ref and hope that somehow that that lodges in their brain and you get one back later. You can't stew on it. I say all of that. Like I'm, I'm trying to to validate feelings here. I'm trying to say I see you, I hear you, I get it, while also saying you got to move on. Right, unless actually, I'll get, I'll give you one out. Okay, if you want to stop and you want to screenshot holds and say why wasn't this called, if you want to stop and you want to screenshot when an offensive lineman moves a eighth of a second before the ball is snapped, if you want to go back and screenshot those, I'll give you an out. You can do that if you do it for every single play. Because I like we had a caller on a second ago wanted to give the the Chiefs all the credit in the world. Chiefs fan wanted to say, "Hey, coaches, players." Good on you. And I said, can you recognize that there were some bad calls that went in your favor? And the caller said, yes. 
but we've had some go against us in the past. And and that's how you have to think of it. That's how you have to think of it. You have to say, yeah, well, we're going to get the advantage of some of those bad calls at some point. In the meantime, we have to work on being so good that bad calls don't even affect it. Because that's, that's the only way to completely make it all about you, right? Win by 21 so that if there's horrendous calls, you win by 14. And if there's the worst refing in the history of the world, you win by three, right? That's all you can do. Which, by the way, uh, I did bring up the team stats. Kansas City, the better team in total yards, total plays. Yards per play, first downs, passing yards, completions and attempts, yards per attempt, passing touchdowns. They won the turnover battle. They intercepted more passes of the other team. They were sacked less for less yards. They were better in the red zone, better on third downs, better actually tied on fourth downs. The only stats that that the Eagles, or sorry, the Bengals, I keep getting the Bengals and the Eagles messed up. I think it's that goals at the end. The only stat that the Bengals were better than Kansas City were rushing yards, yards per carry, rushing touchdowns. Which, when when you're, you're winning those stats but still losing total, that just means that the, the Chiefs passing game was so much better they overcame it. If you lose in all those things and then you say we deserve to win, it's a tough look. It's a tough look. Were the referees bad? At times, yes. All the time, no. Was there nefarious intent? Meaning, did did they go out into the game thinking there's no way we're going to let the Bengals win? Absolutely not. They made some bad calls. If they were more against you than for you, it's a bummer. It's a bummer. But go back and look at the AFC Championship game last year that you won by three against the Chiefs, and I bet you there's some calls that went for you. If you're willing to look at every game, every play, every block, every return, every everything, and acknowledge all of the bad calls, then do the math and say, well, they got 47 bad calls in their favor and we only got 45, I'll hear that argument. I don't love hearing the, the this one play, this should have been called. It's like, well, on the previous play, they missed two in the other way. Tim Donnelly Show, ESPN Radio 94.1. Keep those reactions coming. 757-687-9494. And also, Kellen Moore's out in Dallas. So the, the Cowboys did end up shaking things up. Or I think more likely, Kellen Moore said, I don't want to be around here for the shakeup. Stick around. We all know you can't really judge which team won the draft for another three or four years. We will fill the gap in the meantime until the results come back in. The Tim Donnelly Show on ESPN Radio 94.1. Tim Donnelly Show, ESPN Radio 94.1. If you've been listening to the station, you've heard uh, about a big announcement happening tomorrow at 3. I'm here to tell you that you have to tune in tomorrow at 3 for the big announcement. I, I, I No hints. I do. I can tell you this. I do know what the announcement is. Robbie knows what the announcement is. And and we're not telling. Gosh, I hate doing this. I get why the, the need to, right? You got to build the suspense. We want everyone tuned in at three. It's going to be a cool thing. It's going to be a big deal. But I do feel a bit like the middle schooler that walks up to another one of their friends and says, I know a secret. What's the secret? I'm not telling you. Like, well, why'd you tell me you have a secret? 
because I want you to know that I know the secret, right? Then you just get into that whole thing, and now you're on the outside. But you're all on the outside. You'll be brought into the inside of the circle uh, on uh, tomorrow, on Tuesday at 3 o'clock. One of our texters was uh, wondering if we're taking our talents to South Beach. That's part of the announcement. Well, I'm g- we're going to have a, a one-hour sit-down with Jim Gray tomorrow. We're going to call it The Decision, and it starts at 3. No, I'm kidding. We'll do the announcement right at 3, right at the beginning. Do you remember watching The Decision? I do. Everyone hates hates LeBron for it. Raised a ton of money for the Boys and Girls Club. The only thing that I didn't like about it is it was terrible television. The conversation went forever. If they would have just told us quick and then made it like he, they could have had a parade in, in LeBron's honor, I would have been fine with it. I just didn't like how they did like the Jeopardy commercial thing where they're like, we're going to tell you, coming up next, right after this. And then they came back for like 15 more minutes and then said, right after this, LeBron makes his decision. We go to another commercial. I'm like, no, no, no. I've already waded through one of these. But we do have a big, big announcement coming out tomorrow, 3 o'clock. So make sure you're tuned in right here, ESPN Radio, 94.1, 3 o'clock tomorrow. Now, the Cowboys, they're sticking with Kellen Moore. Not the Cowboys are making a change or Kellen Moore is making a change. Either way, the Cowboys are getting a new voice on offense. The Cowboys wanted, I I truly believe this. The reason why they waited this long is they wanted to be bailed out to make it aesthetically pleasing, right? Meaning they wanted Kellen Moore to get a head coaching job. That looks like tremendous success for a coaching staff. If one of your coordinators takes a head coaching job elsewhere, it's everyone leaves glorious, right? Smelling like daisies. But if someone leaves to take a coordinator job or if someone gets fired, then all of a sudden it starts smelling like failure for someone, right? Right? Either the team failed because... They're leaving to take a coordinator job elsewhere, so it's like, eh, I don't want to be here. Or the the coach failed because they, they, he got fired. So when you start smelling like failure, people don't people don't like it as much. So let's go ahead and skip the uh, the Max Kellerman sound here, Robbie. Let's go to Mike Wells, who was on primetime talking about Kellen Moore. Hey, one of these situations where Mike McCarthy had to do something. He had to do something trying to rattle things up, especially how the offense went. Never mind that Dak Prescott did not have many weapons on the outside to throw the ball to this year. But there's always got to be a scapegoat. Somebody has to be the fall guy when things aren't going right. And in this situation, it was Kellen Moore. Something tells me Kellen Moore will end up on another team as an OC somewhere else. But um, he essentially, you know, quiet and quote unquote, like you said, Q, you know, mutually decided to part ways, a.k.a. you was fired. I'm not so sure. First of all, it's not that he will pop up as OC. Reports are out there. He's already accepted the, the Chargers job. I'm not so sure he mutually parted ways means fired. I'm not so sure. He's already the OC for the Chargers, which I think, point blank, the most attractive offensive coordinator job that was that was open, right, on the, the quarterback, or the, sorry, the coaching carousel. Part of me thinks, you think the Cowboys fired an offensive coordinator that immediately became the most attractive offensive coordinator on the market? You think they fired an offensive coordinator that immediately became the Chargers' obvious, quick decision to be their offensive coordinator? I'm not so sure. Just like this, you think uh, think the Jets fired their offensive coordinator just to end up Sean McVay's offensive coordinator like a day later? 
Both of those coordinators, Mike LaFleur and, and Kellen Moore, were mutually parted ways with. I think that might be when a coach wants out of their contract and the team isn't going to hold it to them, right? Isn't going isn't to be a jerk about it. Like, all right, just say we mutually parted ways. I think if you get fired, the teams love to say you got fired. We decided it was time for him to go. He, get, he gets to coach Justin Herbert. Think about that. And the Chargers are really good, and, and, and they haven't gotten over the hump yet, and eventually it's going to happen, right? Like, Justin Herbert's going to win a playoff game sooner or later. And now Kellen, Kellen Moore gets to show up. They win a playoff game, which was going to happen sooner or later anyway. He gets to go, that was me, and go find his head coaching job. Because reportedly, he really wanted the Carolina job and became a finalist for that job as the head coach. Do you realize how rare it is in, in the NFL to have a guy who's a legit finalist for head coaching jobs and you fire him as your offensive coordinator? Here's Rex Ryan on Get Up talking about the possibility, ready for this, with more moving on or being mutually parted ways with, that Mike McCarthy takes over and goes back to his roots as a play caller. McCarthy knows one thing. like his, his, This is tough to do. When you got to call one side of the ball yeah. and be the head coach, it's tough. It means your time commitment is doubled. Right. It really has. Your preparation time, all that type of stuff, has literally doubled. Is he ready for it right now? He stepped away from it. Now you're going to step back in. But I truly believe he did it for one reason, what you guys said. Yeah. It's because it's on the line right now. And, and his butt's to the fire, so to speak. I'm going to go down with myself over somebody else. I like that. If Kellen Moore and the Cowboys, for whatever reason, mutually parted ways with, I think Kellen Moore said, I can get the, the Chargers job. Uh, let's mutually part ways. Um, but for whatever reason, with an opening there, I would love it if Mike McCarthy said it's mine. I would love it if Jerry came into his office and said, hey, Mike. Do you think he calls him Mike? Probably calls him like Eminem or something. Right, Jerry Jones? Hey, JJ? MM? What's up? Right? They walk in, says, Coach. Who are you thinking for your offensive coordinator? I hope Mike McCarthy leans back in his chair, puts both heels on the desk, crosses his legs, and puts his two thumbs out like this guy. I hope he he owns it. Because it, like, you, like you heard Rex get to at the end there a little bit on, on get up, the Cowboys need to get that offense cranking. They have a defense right now that's really good. Dan Quinn's staying around. He won't be around much longer. He is going to be a head coaching candidate, and he's just waiting for the right time to jump off that carousel and into the head coaching position for another team. They need to get that offensive cranking soon. And if I'm a head coach, there is an element of, I'm an offensive head coach. I've called plays. If you want it done right, sometimes you got to do it yourself. You can trust Dan Quinn to run the defense with less supervision because he's Dan Quinn. Grab your Denny's Denny's menu, write your play sheet, laminate it, get it on the sideline, start calling plays. People forget, like Mike McCarthy called plays for Aaron Rodgers. Right? He called plays for some very good offenses over there in, in Green Bay. I think it could be a really, really good thing if the head coach and, and that offense were much more aligned. And Kellen Moore, it's very, very good for you that you get to call plays for the Chargers. Because... They're pretty darn talented. Justin Herbert's going to make you look good. And I got to believe the pressure in LA, probably a little bit less than the pressure in Dallas. Yeah, but I'm, 
Kellen Moore didn't seem to crumb. I mean, maybe. I know a lot of people don't like his play calling in clutch situations. I don't think he was up there feeling the pressure. I think, you know, a couple bad play calls and you get a reputation. I, I think I think Kellen Moore's a good good coach. I think it is a big time hire by by the Chargers. And one year, like the thing is, Kellen Moore makes nine good calls and one bad one. Nine good ones, one bad one. Justin Herbert, there's a good chance he can go that bad call. I'll make you right anyway. And then that's ten for ten. From I mean, that's that's what you're looking for. A couple years of that, then he takes a head coaching job elsewhere. Goes back to nine to ten, nine out of ten. Tim Donnelly Show, ESPN Radio, ninety four point one. Coming up next, Jay Will. You hear him every morning right here on ESPN Radio, 94.1 on Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max, a college basketball legend, joined us to talk about what it's like to be an athlete dealing with bad referees the next day. We're going to ask him. Stick around. Welcome back into ESPN Radio, 94.1, connecting with us on the phone lines, college basketball legend, co-host of Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max, which you can hear mornings right here on 94.1, 6 to 10. Uh, J. Will, thank you very much for taking the time. Uh, I have to uh, I have to ask as as an athlete that reached the heights you you have I'm sure it's happened to you if you're the Bengals right now you're sitting at home you think the game probably was referee oriented towards the other team how do you feel how do you deal with it as a a competitive crazy person as I am I I've learned to live my life by never publicly addressing any excuses now internally I could be frustrated by that. I mean, you talk about the penalty, the flag thrown on the late hit mm-hmm. on Patrick Mahomes. You know, I can I guess sit there and make a case on uh, you know late hit on Joe Burrow. Literally a couple of possessions before that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but this this is these are the kind of things that happen when you're not at home. I mean, I, it, it's almost like follow the theme for me uh, watching LeBron James play against the Boston Celtics. And I, I know there's a theme I'll say about you know fouls and you know calls not being given to the Lakers, but um, you're playing in Boston. Like, what do you expect? And, uh, you know, knowing that you're, you're playing, you know, in Kansas City and guys on your team have said things like Burrowhead and, you know, we're, we're talking about the Cincinnati, you know, mayor coming out and saying, you know, we're going to have Patrick Holmes take up a third test as Joe Burrow, his dad. Like, you know all those things factoring into winning a game on the road. And it's not easy. It's hard. So, yes, that is a reality, but – no way in hell am I saying to people that I'm complaining about the refs or the calls. Um, we have to learn how to win and overcome. And that's been the theme of who Joe Burrow is. And I think that translates to this team. Yeah, oh, We're missing some people on our O-line. Okay, we're not making excuses. We're still going to find a way to win games. And it's about moving forward and it's about being better. And you know when you're going on the road, you have to be two times what you typically were to win those type of games, and that's what you focus on if you're the Bengals. You bring up the Burrow heads, uh, the 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 trash talk leading up to it. The mayor is that a lesson learned for the Bengals? Young team, we expect them to be making playoff runs for a while. Is it lesson learned? Don't talk that much trash, or is it if that's part of your your personality, do it, but just know if you lose, you're going to take your medicine. I mean, look, it's. I think that's something that a lot of us were programmed to think is wrong to say right like i'll give you an example of that Tim. it's like you know in college if you were to say something about an opposing team i remember my freshman year i talked about ed coda who played for north carolina and it became a headline you want to give them any extra added ammunition you don't want to give them anything to think about and i hear that in college because that could be a thing uh bulletin board material 
But as you get, as you become a pro, I, I used to talk trash to guys all the time because I have friends mm-hmm. on different teams, right? Like you would say things. So, yeah, I, I and I actually think that that puts more pressure on Kansas City, right? Because God forbid Joe Burrow wins in Kansas City and is four zero against Patrick Mahomes. Like God forbid you are able to call that Burrow ahead moving forward. Or say, yeah, we should be asking for a paternity test for Patrick Mahomes if Joe Burrow is his dad. So it, it's what comes along with the game. And it was a close game, too. It, it's just so unfortunate that they're not in field goal range and then you get a late hit. And now that's going to be used as ammunition against him by saying, oh, yeah, how about this now? But everybody on Cincinnati, you know what time it is. And you know that you could have easily just as won that game. So I think it's just about learning how to be better in those critical moments and execute and not make those late hits. Go to the overtime, you find a way to win the game. Voice you hear is Jay Will, Jay Williams. You can find him on Keyshawn, Jay Will, and Max every morning right here on 94.1. Uh, Jay, you touched on LeBron, so I just want to go there for a second. It, frustration, right? I mean, the, the, you can see it like coming out of his, his, his pores. Is, is it understandable for him to not uh, – like the referees we, we just discussed – but almost with it, like he's having an all-time season, unbelievable at 38. Is it understandable that he's frustrated, whether with the the team, you know, his teammates, because because he's playing great, but still they're in 13th in the West. So here's the problem I have with social media, because of course on social media, the clip of LeBron reacting to the no call goes viral, and people saying, well, you know, look, there's LeBron being overly dramatic, and this is why we don't compare him to Jordan. And I'm sitting there saying, okay, this guy at his age is having an historic season. He's going to break Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's record for scoring. He's keeping his team in contention for a play-in spot, a play-in spot at his age without AD, with Russ learning how to play. And the fact that this has been a theme that has followed this team for multiple games this season. I can give you the 76ers game where literally Russ is being held by a 76ers player and they don't call it. So when you're fighting to make a playoff spot, when you know your legacy is on the line, while you're having this historic performing season, and you get fouled, and it's a blatant, horrific call. I mean, I'm sitting there watching the game on my third glass of wine, Tim, on a Saturday night, and I'm like, that's a foul. That's a foul. And I'm not the ref on the baseline who has a great angle. Whenever a player's arm is extended like that, okay, they're vulnerable. You don't see players miss a layup where the ball shoots directly off the backboard and comes like at a 70-degree angle off it and hits the lower side of the rim. You don't have misses like that unless you're hit. Unless you're hit. So it does feel like there's something against the Lakers here. I'm not saying it's done maliciously, but there is a series of no-calls that have been missed by refs. And on the road, I mean, you're sitting there saying, okay, i got to be better, but damn, at 39, this is what I need to do to keep my team in contention. I get fouled and they can't make the call for, us to, for me to go to the free throw line. Yeah, I have every right to be dramatic. And angry because it's followed us the whole damn year. I'm gonna I'm gonna touch on that, but go back to the football side of things um, because LeBron. It's almost been said so often that's not even like an underlying fact anymore, right? He some of his greatness is not appreciated because of what you're talking about, just narratives that seem to to go against him. But as a, a sports society, looking at Mahomes. Like, feel like we're rushing to get to the next Mahomes, right? Burrow was going to take him over if he if he passes. Josh Allen was the the next already, and and Mahomes is still young. Are are we appreciating that guy enough before rushing him out and getting to the next big thing after another big performance in the the AFC Championship? I hate hate 
absolutely despise when media is like, now let me rank who the best quarterbacks are in the NBA, in the NFL. It's like, whoa, Patrick Mahomes is the GOAT, and Joe Burrow could supplant him and, you know, take over. I'm just like, man, he is one of the best quarterbacks we have in football. Before it's said and done, I think he will be one of the best quarterbacks we will have in NFL history. Like, Joe Burrow, to me, is going to be a Hall of Famer. So I, I don't really subscribe to the list. And, and now, suddenly, like, the, the needle moves, right, and the, the target moves now. Because now, since Joe Burrow lost and he has a, an exceptional game, you know he's had an exceptional year, it's like, well, now it's Jalen Hurts' the second best quarterback in the NFL. I'm like, stop, stop. All these are cornerstone franchise quarterbacks for their respective teams. We're talking about the elite of the elite. Joe Burrow is going to be there when it matters the most. But you need things to go right. There is an element of luck that goes into things happen. There's an element of luck for Patrick Mahomes. We don't know if they would have won that game in overtime. We don't know that. So, I mean, there has to be a late hit that puts him in field goal kicking range in order for this to happen. So that wasn't a definitive win by Kansas City. These teams play multiple times. If they play best of seven, like maybe Cincinnati wins four. Maybe maybe Kansas City wins four. I don't know. That's going to be a slugfest. But you need an element of luck for things to go in your favor. And I think that's what we saw down the stretch. That's what happened. And it adds on to the legacy. I get how it's all going to be compounded, and then the narratives are going to be told the next day. But like Joe Burrow is right there when it's all said and done. They just need that little luck to get them over the hump and get them back there. Jay Williams joining us here on the phone lines. Follow him on Twitter at RealJWilliams. He is obviously college basketball legend from his time at Duke, also hosts our morning show here on 94.1. Jay, before we let you go, last one. Uh, I know you've spent a lot of time in and around the the Big Apple, New York City. Uh, Aaron Rodgers as a person, right? Football player, I think he's he's well-established. We just talked about appreciating greatness and all those sorts of things personality how would that mesh with new york city if that that the jets you know clues and hansel and gretel breadcrumbs lead him to the jets well i i laugh at all this and just let me poo poo this whole thing very quickly number one i don't see aaron Rodgers being on the jets you're telling me that nathaniel hackett got taken by denver <laughs> to bring aaron Rodgers, and then aaron Rodgers doesn't come to denver and now i've seen a guy operate one of the worst offenses in the league and what happened to Russell Wilson and now he's supposed to come to the Jets and that's going to make Aaron Rodgers think about coming to New York also knowing Aaron Rodgers like Aaron Rodgers has spent time in nature like he is he doesn't want to deal with the high-end media all the time hence why he goes on the Pat McAfee show so he can control and talk the narrative with his friends so I I I don't see Aaron Rodgers just all of a sudden then saying I'm going to be this guy that's got to deal with New York media like, I see him either staying in Green Bay or if they want to trade, I see him actually trying to go to a place like Tennessee. I, I see the Tennessee Titans as a suitable place for Aaron Rodgers with their defense, with their run game. Granted, they can get some pieces in free agency. I see that being way more down the avenue of who Aaron Rodgers is as a person. Arawaska you know, and all, okay? Ayahuasca, not Arawaska. Ayahuasca <laughs> and all. Like, I see that being the vibe of Aaron Rodgers in Nashville, and Tennessee more so than I see it being with the Jets.
I like the 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 slip up there. Arahuasca. We'll just we'll just rename it after yeah. Rogers. He's such an associate. There we go. <laughs> Arahuasca. I didn't even know I did that. Look at that. There you go. Jay, we appreciate you for taking the time. Keep crushing on the morning show and, and hopefully we can do this again soon. Thanks, brother. Have a good one.